Fresh New Shorts offers you new short stories from award-winning authors. Today's story is by author John Blackmore and is found in A Physicist's Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena. This episode features The Passage, which was shortlisted for the Writers' Union of Canada Short Story Contest. A photographer reflects on how he got a start at 15 with a heartbreaking photo he didn't expect from the girl he loved but could never have. The Passage Our neighbors, the Connells, were Catholics. They had the row house next to ours, so we shared a wall from cellar to attic, but we shared little else. Their father was as contrary to Confederation as the St. John's Bishop, while mine backed Joey Smallwood 110%. My father was a clerk at Driscoll's, working the Tetley franchise. Mr. Connell did some crewing, handiwork, and most often, not much. There were about a hundred of them. I never knew their names except the two oldest. John was my age, 15, a dirty hockey player when we went blacks against mix. They said he had a filleting knife down his sock and brass knuckles in his pockets. His sister Lucy was one year younger. I saw her about every other day on account of the passage. I opened the outside hatch doors to our cellar, balancing the hot pot of stew on my magazine, and descended into the damp underground. My mother always waited until Dad had gone to work before giving me a meal to pass through the walls. Her normal, booming voice shrank to a whisper, Take this to the Connells. I don't think he even knew about the passage between the houses. His mind was on bigger things, the launching out into the deep, as Smallwood said. It was our first summer as Canadians. Some looked ahead to the possibilities. Some still smarted from the past. I lay the pot down and opened the cupboard door to the tunnel between our homes. It was a three-foot hole, wide enough to take a turkey roasting pan. String fed through from one side of our passage and up to the Connell's kitchen. I tugged the line and picked up my magazine. The back cover contest in American photography promised internship at leading New York photo agency for the first prize photo. I reread the details. The thrill burst fresh inside me. New York. New York. I was 15. I didn't know New York did this all the time, holding out promises, stealing loyalties, crushing dreams. I saw myself on a frenetic boulevard with the whole world spinning round me as if I had found the center of the universe. Lucy's voice from the other side of the tunnel broke through my daydream. What you reading? she asked. Lucy had the brogue as if she had just sailed in St. John's Harbour on a famine boat. Her pale, pretty face glowed with her candle. I turned the magazine front and back so she could read it. I'm going to the parade on Friday. See if I can get a picture of a maimed soldier, I said. The Beaumont Hamel vets, she pointed to my magazine. You think that'll win your contest? I frowned. Not likely. Though the Walsh boys had shown me a German helmet their granddad carried on parade last year. A Kaiser Wilhelm with a spike on top, the ones they used to spear babies. 
one meaningful bullet hole shot clean through the forehead. Moose stew, I think. I placed the dish in the tunnel and pushed it through. That'll be nice. She lifted the pot down from the tunnel, brought up an empty casserole dish and pushed it back. Grandan is nearly dead, she said. Of course, she's been dying for years, but I think she means it now. She's had the extreme unction, sure. The what? Last right, you dumb blackie. I don't know your Catholic mumbo. She had the most beautiful smile. Suppose you don't. Sorry to hear about Nan. She's been ready to go since the Confederation vote. She says the Canada has been the death of her. That night, I awoke to a powerful wail from the Connells. I grabbed my brownie camera and ran to the window. That would be a winner. The angel of death hugging Nan to its breast within the sweep and spread of its black and leathery wings. At breakfast, my mother handed me two date loaves and wax paper. The Connells will be having a crowd today, she said. Nan died last night. How'd you know, she asked. It was the first time I realized she believed food, but nothing else passed between the sides of the cellar passage. That down there we were simple and mute agents of the powers above. Through the tunnel, I could see Lucy's blue eyes rimmed red with fatigue. I was there, she was telling me. Nan was stone dead cold. But then she sat bolt upright in her bed shouting, Yes, dear Jesus, yes! Lucy blushed with the passion of the outburst. We're waking her in the parlor today, burying her tomorrow. Ma says in summer, you need to show the dead the door. The sudden image of Nan's corpse squeezed my heart. She'll be in her box, in your parlor? She's up there now, I'm fanning her. Do you think I could get a picture of your Nan? Lucy wrinkled her brow. For the contest, she laughed. You're not going to New York, you stupid blackie. You're a Newfoundlander. Let me take the picture. I'll prove it to you. Is there any time when everyone's gone out? They're going to Da's cousin, the barrelman, at two. They're leaving me with her. I was Nan's favorite. I won't be a minute with a picture. I'll ring the cellar bell after two. She thought about it, but she seemed to be more considering the foolishness of New York than the danger of letting a Protestant into her house. I could get a shot of you, too, while I'm there. You're, you're pretty with your hair, I said. She blushed again. Ring round two. I was standing on a rickety parlor chair staring down at dead Nan. She was laid out in a green satin-lined spruce box, her arms folded over flattened chest and bloated belly, her bone fingers clutching the shiny black beads of a rosary. Lucy was waving a Chinese fan at the corpse, looking up at me, over to the old woman, and back again. They've only gone to have one drink, she said. I held the brownie and focused on Nan. Her eyes had sunk into the sallow skin of her skull. Her creased red lipstick lips were tight to her false teeth. Decay seemed to buzz around her. But even with all that, would she offer enough to win? I looked about the parlor. 
black crepe paper hung in mourning streamers down the walls. The sacred heart of Jesus with Easter palms stuck into the picture frame. Lilies flopsy in a crystal vase. And then Lucy, in her navy dress and golden hair, in a long Rapunzel braid. Lucy's eyes the most startling summer sky blue. Can you get in the picture? I asked. What are you talking? I thought for a moment, looking at the two of them. It's a better composition with you, I said. It provides contrast, youth and age, beauty and and death. There's more story to it. Lucy edged closer to her dead grandmother. Like this? I looked down at them through the lens. Better? Can you lean in closer? Lucy wrinkled her small nose. It'd be like, like you're an angel, I said. She wasn't convinced, but bent towards her grandmother. She quickly straightened back away. She smells bad. Please. Carefully, Lucy leaned in again and closed her eyes. I took a picture. That's much better. Can you go a little closer? Maybe make like you would be kissing her. She leaned closer and pursed her lips in a movie matinee way. I took the picture. Perhaps it was the contrast with the corpse, but like a shock, I saw she was so beautiful. I'd been passing fish and pound cakes through that tunnel to her since she was ten. I leaned towards her so her face filled more of my frame. It was hard to keep my balance, squinting and focusing on her pale face and pink lips. She was so beautiful. I took another picture. I would have taken pictures of her all day. With the world shrunk to the squinting tunnel view of the camera, I didn't see someone come to the parlor door. What the fuck are you doing? The sudden fright of a voice. I jumped off the chair. Lucy's oldest brother stood at the entrance to the parlor. Gray flannels and a white shirt sweated pink to John's skin. I'll get you, Blackie, he shouted, pulling a knife out and pointing it straight at my heart. I cradled the camera and ran round to put Nan's coffin between John and me. We circled that way twice and stopped, breathing hard, staring at each other across her box. John, don't, Lucy cried. He turned to her and pushed her out of the way. Lucy, John turned back to me. And then Nan appeared to move. Her pursed painted lips seemed to part, and from them emerged an unearthly groan, a loud, cod-smelling, oh, escaped her mouth. Nan's distended belly deflated like a balloon. John shrieked. He sprang backwards and crashed into the parlor chairs lined against the wall. I bolted for the door. John scrambled to his feet, raising the skinny blade, but I swiped down at his arm with the camera. I heard him scream, but didn't stop running out the door as the rest of the black-garbed mix walked up the street. I hopped the fence between our houses, pounced up our front stairs, and ran inside to my bedroom, where it took a good 15 minutes for my heart to return to its body. After supper, my father came to my room with a hard face. The sly one stabbed himself near in his bird. He started to smile with the thought but then raised his hand as if to hit me. I covered my head. Don't flinch, he said, relaxing his arm. 
Flinchin's the old way. You're Canadian now. I made sure Dad was gone before I got up the next morning. My mother was sitting at our kitchen table, holding her teacup halfway between her mouth and saucer, staring out the small window that opened to the street. The Connells were up at the crack, taking Nan's box to St. Agnes, she said, not looking at me, talking instead to the doily curtains. Your father's gone to Martin's Hardware for bricks and mud. She went quiet, and suddenly realizing her tea in midair, took a sip. Just as well, I wouldn't make another G.D. meal for those papists, after what they did to the girl. My stomach wrenched. Saw her leave the house with a shawl over her head. In this heat, too. But she looked over. She motioned with her head to the kitchen window. What did they... You can help your father if you want, or you can be off. I'd mind the Connells for a while if I were you. Just down from the trees, they are. He'll be back in an hour or so. Isn't Martin's clothes today? It's parade day. He's gone to get bricks. He'll get them. I was in the cellar when he returned. He had a bunch of bricks and a bag of mortar already stirred with sand. He told me to get two buckets, one with water, one for mixing. When I came back, he had the small cupboard door to the passage off its wooden frame. I made the mortar according to his directions and passed him brick after brick until the tunnel was sealed. He told me to gather up the remaining bricks and the mortar bag. Toss it all in the Connell's yard. He can close off his side, too. He smacked his hands to clear the dirt. That was that. I did as I was told, carrying the extra bricks and bag up the stairs and throwing them over the fence. Back down in the cellar, I stared at the freshly made wall for a long time. I got my camera and took a picture of it. I went to the Beaumont Hamel parade in the afternoon, despite my mother's warning, skulking around, pushing through to the front row of people to take a picture, folding back into the crowd like a spy. As the Second War veterans marched past, just returned these four years, we cheered them plenty. They waved and strutted like princes. But when the blue putties of the Great War marched by, our cheering ebbed, as if we were suddenly embarrassed of the recent vote, of how we surrendered their country on the promise of checks for babies and old people. I took a lot of pictures of them, the crags of their faces, red bulbs of their noses, their gouty walk, whether any of them would be a prize winner. If you didn't know their story, the parable of Beaumont Hamel, they would just be pictures of old men, shaky and gone to drink, a pack of rollies in the pocket with the medals over their heart. As the last pair from the Newfoundland Expeditionary Force marched by, I brought the camera down. Lucy was on the other side. She had the shawl pulled over her head. She scurried across the street to me, ahead of the Navy cadets and their drum and bugle band. I knew you'd be here, she said. She spoke with a slur on account of her swollen lip. I saw her face. I thought I might vomit with guilt.
They're all back at the house, but nobody's minding for me now. They just as rather I disappeared, she said. Dad bricked up the tunnel, I said. She nodded. I was suddenly seized with a hasty plan that we'd stow away and escape together. I scanned the St. John's Harbor for a U.S. flagged ship. Lucy in her shawl and me with 25 cents, a camera, and two rolls of film sailing out the narrows for Manhattan. You thought I was pretty, didn't you, you dumb blackie, she said. The weight of the question broke me from my plans. She could tell what I was thinking and the utter foolishness of it. I wanted to give you one last picture, she said. You were going on and on about the contrast and the story in a good picture. I was thinking about it last night after, after it all, and I was in my room and Ma came by with ice from the box, she said. She pulled the shawl away from her pretty, battered face. Here's a story. Take it. See if it'll get you to New York. Those last pictures of Lucy are the best pictures I've ever taken. I can barely look at them still. Some fool photo won the contest. A pug licking a baby's ice cream cone. But... When I was 17, those photos of Lucy and the ones of Nan got me my first job. And as we say on the island, way leads on to way. I have a large print of the bricked-in tunnel in my office. I tell people it's my picture of Newfoundland. Americans laugh, not really knowing the island, and in my case, telling me it looks like a wall. No, no, I tell them. You have to look more closely. You're missing the story. It's a passage. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, please rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find the book, A Physicist Guide to Love by John Blackmore on Amazon.com, .ca, or your country site. Please subscribe and come back to listen to us again.